Want an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news and trends in the NBA? Listen to the NBA Daily Ding podcast Monday through Friday. Wake up and turn up the NBA Daily Ding to stay informed on all things NBA here at The Athletic and wherever you get your podcasts. With the playoffs in full swing, you don't want to miss a single episode of the Basket Buds edition of the Athletic NBA Show podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network every single Monday with myself, Zach Harper, and our cast of characters, Trevon Edwards, Jay King, Dave DeFord, James Edward III, Law Murray. We're breaking down every single big playoff story, and we're doing it with a lot of fun and a lot of trash talk. Make sure you're checking it out. The Basket Buds edition of the Athletic NBA show every single Monday morning right in your podcast face. I just got something on my phone. Oh, it's a fraud alert. Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. (laughs) Fraud alert. My bank is contacting me saying don't invest in these bums ever again. Hey everyone, this is Andrew Schlecht. And I am Alex Spears. And you can join us every Saturday on the Athletic NBA show for the Saturday Slam and Jam. We will bring you the most interesting plots and storylines from the playoffs, fun guests, and a weekly trivia show where I attempt to completely embarrass my co-host, Andrew. So grab your coffee, do your chores, and turn up the Saturday Slam and Jam right here on the Athletic NBA show. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerdish You Wrote, with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. NBA show. You guys know how this goes. It's Nerder Shiro. Hey, I'm Dave. It's late. It's late. It's another late night recording. Uh, that's Seth. Uh, Mo is here. Um, guys, we, we just saw game three of the Clippers and Suns Western Conference Finals series. And uh, I guess that's a perfect place to start with the, this week's show. Uh, it's now 2 1 Clippers because they won that game. Uh, I guess two one Suns. Oh, sorry, sorry, two one Suns. That's right. Sorry, I was thinking about Chris Paul you've losing. Scared a lot of Suns fans you just know, now. Just, you've, you've a lot of Suns fans really were just like, "Oh crap, what happened?" Uh, too caught up in the fact that Chris Paul came back and lost um, to the to the Clippers. Can we rescind here. his MVP? Uh, I guess, no. guys. <laughs> I guess uh, Mo. Let's start with you, man. Um, what was the big difference you thought that you saw in Game Three for the Clippers, or were this? Uh, more of a continuation of some of the stuff that was working out well for them in game two. Yeah, no, I thought just defensively, I thought they were more aggressive, even defensively, not even, not in terms of like, we're going to go double, we're going to trap or things like that. I just thought they physically got into guys. They were picking, you know, either Devin Booker or Chris Paul up full court at times, you know, it it was just saying, Hey, we're going to make you burn clock a little bit earlier. Um, before you can get into your offense. I thought they just did a good job defensively. Like they were very tight. It was even better than what it was in, in, in game two, which I thought was pretty good. But when you just look at everything they did, like late switching and taking lobs away from Aiton and, and, and things like that and rotating, I thought they were just really sharp defensively. Zubac has been good, I thought, in this series. And, and in particular, in game three, I thought he was pretty good. Um, you know, Aiton is not 
dominating that matchup by by any stretch when they're on the court together. It's when they go small that I think Aiton really has has left a, a, a bigger impact. Um, what do you? How do you feel about the the Suns with Chris Paul? Like, do you feel differently about them? They were a little bit slower, I thought, especially early. But you know, this is still a really. It's not like Chris Paul is making them worse. No, but this is a normal, like being slower and having Chris Paul on your team goes hand in hand. Like Chris plays a slower pace. Everybody thinks that he runs a faster pace. I thought that when we, when we got him with the Clippers, I'm like, great, we're going to be running all the time. And then somebody pulled me aside and showed me the stats. I was like, oh, his teams are always in the bottom five of pace. And it's just a continuing trend. And it's more like him being a game manager and so on. So I think that was just part of it. And, and, and part of it, again, was he's coming back from having not played in 11 days or however many days. And he been. probably ended up having to play more than they maybe expected with the with, you know, campaign going out early. So it's it, yeah. I can't imagine that what he ended up with 36, 38 minutes tonight. I can't imagine that was mm-hmm. the plan going in. So oh, you haven't played in a while. Let's let's here play 40 minutes. I, Sounds like a recipe for a, a calf strain oh. if you ask uh, a fellow Tough old man. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, because your runs are just like these dudes playing <laughs> yeah, NBA yeah, basketball, Dave, in the playoffs. You're you're running at that oh, pace for sure. The same old legs, though. Human anatomy is not that much different. Uh, so I, I guess... Yeah, they're in better shape than yeah, you. I, I would hope so. They get paid a lot more to do it. So um, I guess the, the Clippers didn't solve the Suns, I don't think. I mean, you know, the, I think if the Suns hit a few more shots... They're in this game just like every other game. Um, I, I didn't feel like the Clippers – like the Clippers won this game by 14. I don't know that it felt like a total blowout, but but they clearly controlled it the whole time. It was I mean, interesting. It's also sort of a, a – a, you know, there's um, – this used to be a Madden thing in way back, right? When you, you, were, you started a season like 11-0 and 0, and then the – then I believe, you know, it used to be called like a no fucking way game. Like it just like, you you know, yeah. you're like, you just, there's no way you're winning this game because, you know, you're going to fumble and you're going to like, you know, they well, like Devin Booker was one of 11 on jumpers tonight. If, if I have that right, like, okay, you, you, you lose. It's sort of, it's, 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 mm-hmm. it's a game. Everything went long. You know, it, it's a continue. It's a continuation though of game two in terms of Booker's shooting. Right. Like he didn't shoot well in game two either, you know, and, and and really it was just the final few possessions that changed that game. The Clippers were right there in games one and two. They lost both those games by a combined seven points. Like it's not a total shock in that they were able to kind of I, let's not say blowout, but able to kind of win comfortably tonight in that sense. You know, and, and it started really in the third quarter. They go on this big run. And it was all defensive stops quick buckets offensively, whether in transition or early offense. There was a big play where uh, um, Zubac gets a, a, a good contest on a Chris Paul three. Chris falls to the ground trying to draw the foul. Thankfully, they don't call it because I didn't think it was a foul. Zubac runs down the lane to post up, and he's posting up Booker, forces eight in to sink in on that, and that leaves Reggie Jackson wide open for a three. I mean, it was things like that, like just good opportunity running and turning just situations for them, but getting a stop and 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 scoring on the other end. It's like every coach's dream right there. You know, campaign gets hurt in game three, and that's been one of the things for the Suns in the playoffs generally that has been going well for them is campaign, and he's been getting to the basket, right? So he's been able to break down the Clippers – 
uh, in particular in the in games one and two in a way that Chris Paul just isn't. Chris Paul, you know that he's going to settle for the mid-range. He's going to take that little step back, that sidestep that he took a few times against Zubac in game three. And I thought that they – a little bit of thunder and lightning, you know, mixing it up, fastball and a changeup, yeah. and they were missing that fastball from campaign because, you know, they were able to keep the Clippers on their heels, I thought, defensively. You, you ha- couldn't overplay – the way Patrick Beverly was able to against Chris Paul and Devin Booker with campaign because he was being so aggressive and the Clippers don't realize he's left-handed, which, yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I, hope they, I hope they had figured it out going into game three at this point. That's also like if, if you know, CP doesn't have like the pick and roll thing going all the way, not having that downhill threat, that also means that, you know, uh, you know, Mikhail Bridges is improved with the ball in his hands, but he's an attacker closeout guy. And if you're not if you're not getting that sort of downhill attack, you're not getting the closeout. And Jay Crowder, you know, is an open catch and shoot guy. And and part of the reason why Aiton has had such a good postseason is he's kind of simplified his offensive game and just, you know, being big and rolling down the lane. So he's not doing a lot of posting up or facing up. So you take that kind of that dynamism away that like Payne has been the best guy doing that for him. And it maybe hinders kind of those other guys a little bit in terms of getting the looks that they've been getting. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the big thing was like Aiton was really dominant. I felt like in the first half really kind of had a presence, felt like it disappeared a bit in the second half, you know, 10 points in the first half. I'm pulling up the second half. So I'm scrolling, uh, you know, eight points in the, in the second half, but like, you know, a minus 17 on the court, like he wasn't felt defensively in any way. You know, he, he, he finishes with just three rebounds in the second half. Like those are, that's the stuff Aiton's got to fix. You know, if it's only Zubach is the only other big guy the Clippers have that are, they're playing, he's got to dominate the glass and he just didn't do it in this one. Well, six offensive rebounds for Zubach, uh, five defensive rebounds for Aiton. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that makes a big difference. And I thought Zubac just played a great game too, just rolling into the right spots and opportunities, you know, get into the restricted area when there's a baseline drive so that he gives a passing outlet and things like that. I thought he brought great energy, had a couple of blocks, blocked the CP floater, um, just just making smart plays overall. Like I just thought it was a really good game from him. And, and if they're going to get this type of game from him, the rest of the way through the series, this thing is going to get real tight real quick. So what's the counter for Phoenix? You know, I mean, Devin Booker needs to hit shots. Yeah. That that would help. But, you know, if they don't have campaign in game four, which, you know, we don't know yet. Um, it's an ankle. So who knows? It, it could be he could be out for the rest of the series. We just don't know. Um, but if they don't have campaign, like I worry that, that they're not going to get the penetration that they really yeah, need. I, I think they need to run more things a little bit for Booker. I think – you know, just stuff to get him off the ball and then back onto it again. You know, I thought, you know, they I, I don't remember them running a Spain pick and roll action once in this game. The Clippers were not able to stop it the last two games, and they kind of went away from it. Just giving opportunities to get Booker different looks and get the ball in different areas, making it just a little bit easier and more simplified uh, for him instead of him having to come in and just create everything off of a pick and roll becomes a bit too difficult. I thought their offense just got really stagnant into just, hey, we're just going to run pick and roll. Yeah, and getting him the ball on the move because I think we, we were talking before the show, like part of what makes 
Phoenix kind of dangerous is aside from from Paul, like they do things pretty quickly. They make quick decisions. You know, it's the it's the point five making a decision in half a second. And at times when you kind of throw the ball to Booker at a standstill, he can catch and caress it. He can catch and hold it. But if you get him the ball on the move, he's just going straight into his thing. And that was, you know, one of the one of the the, the great ATOs that that Monty ran in game two was the one like he kind of ran a pin down in in so he he was able to catch the ball on the move running away from Beverly and that allowed him to get quickly into into a shot with some separation and so if he's as opposed to just kind of catching it and jab stepping and you know trying to play like Carmelo Anthony which kind of means everyone is standing and watching Devin Booker yeah and and, and the other thing too is i actually thought it was smart from the clippers to not double him the way they were before sending that second man over. Cause when they did that, that he got off the ball quick in those first two games of the series where I was really impressed. That's how he got the, especially after assists. the first quarter of game one, like the first quarter of game one was a little flummoxed, but after that really adjusted. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, that's how he got his du- triple double in game one, right? Like it was just getting off the ball quickly and finding those opportunities and things like that. Like, I, I was impressed by the Clippers not doing it. This is one of those things, too. We don't give Ty Lue enough credit. Like, he does change things. Change the starting lineup going in tonight. You know, not just continuing to stay with Zubach, but took Batum out and went with Terrence Mann in the starting lineup. You know, or, and, excuse me, Marcus Morris, and went with Mann in the lineup. Like, just changing things and let me get more more quicker guards out there to defend. I thought it was just good stuff there from, from Lewis on the coaching side of it. I think, and there's a, there's sort of a, an important meta point here is, all right, everyone's like, oh, we want to see the coach adjust, blah, blah, blah. He makes an adjustment that doesn't work. If you want your coach to adjust, if you want the coach to adjust, that means you have to be okay with him making some adjustments that don't work. And, you know, right. Lou is willing to try stuff. Not everything works. It, most of them, it seems like there's a rationale behind them, and like, yeah, it might work, might not. I don't know. Um, and then, and then, you know, get out of it if it if it if it doesn't. Um, and that's, I think, that's more where adjustments go bad is when you try something and it's just, you know, not there. I mean, I think the best example from this playoffs is probably Game One of the Atlanta Philly series, right? Where I think we we've, yeah. we've talked about this last week. Like, all right, you throw Danny Green on Trey. Maybe it'll work. Okay, five minutes into the game, it doesn't work. Next, ne- next thing in the script, and and Lou will try stuff. Look at it, didn't work. Next, and he's quick to do yeah. it, and I think that's the most important thing because he would make that change in five minutes. And it's not just Doc; a lot of coaches wouldn't make that change quickly. It would take them till game three. Like it's along those lines of 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 sometimes. The most important thing of a, a coach can do is recognize, oh, what I put in didn't work. Let me change. How much of this? And I think that's oh, a big thing. How much of this? No, go ahead. Uh, in, in, like, you know, in in your experience, when a coach was game planning, would they be like, "We're going to try this, and then if it doesn't work, we're going to try that"? Is if there is that sort of conditional thing, or is it we're going to try this and then take a look and figure it out? Because it does seem to be able to do it quickly. It's like you've 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 thought the move, the two moves ahead. So that it's like, okay, if this doesn't work, why won't it work? And if that, if it's, if that's why it won't work, what's my next move? And that seems like part and parcel of the ability to make those quick adjustments is to, you know, have already thought of them beforehand. So it's not just like randomly throwing it together on the fly. 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of that with with coaches. I mean, the really good coaches. I don't want to say every coach does that because we know clearly some don't, right? They they looked confused on the sidelines half the times when what they put in fire. didn't work. We'll, we'll um, get to, we'll get to the Bucks game, um, um, you, you know. But like the the whole thing is, you know, a couple key things besides just being able to to look and think about ahead of time, you know, all of those things. It's also having the guys to be able to make those changes, right? And, and and feeling comfortable. Like that's the one thing I liked about this Clipper team was their versatility, you know, was that they can change quickly. Okay, we tried small, didn't work. We're going to go big now. You know, like we're able to kind of mix these things up and mix up different lineups. And they got a lot of guards, you know, just the more you kind of think with how well Reggie Jackson's playing. You know, and, and, and Luke Kennard's hitting shots. You got Rajon Rondo, who was not good tonight, but fine. We don't need to play him the rest of the game. We can put Terrence Mann out there. Like, just so many different options for Lou to be able to go to. I think that's the important aspect of being able to make those adjustments is also having those guys that you need to be able to make them. But this is Marcus one of those Morris things is, that so, I bring up about Ty Lue all the time yeah. when I talk about the run in Cleveland is the fact that that guy does not care. Like, he's willing to throw anything at the wall. Like, he's going to try it. But he also can hit reverse and pivot. I'm sorry, Seth. I interrupted you. What were you no, saying? I was just going to say you're talking about the the you know sort of the versatility of the Clippers, and this is where there's that certain type of like Marcus Morris is not the best player in the NBA, but man, is he a useful playoff guy because he can, you know, you want to tr- like so many times teams want to try a different thing and they run out of guys you can do it right, but then you have a guy like Morris who can. Oh, you're, we're going to go small. Okay, you can do that. We're going to go big. You can do that. We're going to trap. We can do that. We're going to switch. You can do that. And he's maybe not the best player in the world in any of them, but it's sort of there's that line of a guy, you know, a guy who is just not quite good enough or whose guy is versatile. It's like there's a line where you're either just above it or just below it and everything. And he seemed, he's just above it and everything. And that's incredibly useful in the playoffs. And, you know, there's other guys like, 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 you know, later in his career, Jeff Green has developed into right. a little bit of that. Um, and those guys, it seems like as the playoffs become so much more about not just game to game adjustments, but in game adjustments, having those guys who are malleable just seems like it's such a huge edge. And the Clippers have, have. A, bun- a bunch of them. Yeah. Right. Like they've, yeah. they've got Batum. And, and I mean, yeah. Paul George. I mean, Paul George. Yeah. Superstar level yeah. of that thing. And so, like, this is. It's almost like this is your toy box, Tyloo. Come up with a game plan. And, you know, I think that he's kind of uniquely qualified to be able to do it because he got so much experience. I mean, think about game planning for the Golden State Warriors in, a, in, in a, all the series that he had to game plan for. I'm sure that when he's coming up with, oh, how do we stop Devin Booker? You know what I mean? It's probably, you know, yawning a little bit compared to Steph Curry. And no disrespect to Devin Booker, but Tyloo's. You know, he's coaching some really big ass games. I don't I don't think anybody should be surprised that he's doing okay. Yeah, but I also think this also goes to some of the it's hard to get respect when you've won a championship with LeBron James. Right? Like, and we see this with some other coaches who when they when they win a championship with a team that they're supposed to, you know, with one of the best players ever, you're 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 in that situation where like, how much of it was you and how much of it was him? It's funny. And I think that becomes the issue. It's funny that those coaches take a lot of the blame though when those guys don't win championships. How it works. Um I guess now that all right, so we're three games into this series as we record this late Thursday night. Um how do you guys feel compared to the way you felt uh 
prior to game one. Do you, you feel any differently about this matchup or is it going about the way you expected? Pretty close, I think. Right now, I feel closer to how I felt after game one. After game two, I was a little worried because actually like, you know, the, the the Clippers did some like the, I mean, the end of the game was, was kind of, was kind of bonkers and, and, you know, we can, we can litigate that or not. Um, but it sort of felt like Phoenix had, had figured some stuff out. And now I feel sort of back the way I did after game one where, okay, Phoenix was happier because they won the game, but the Clippers wouldn't have been too upset because they lost the close game on the road with Devin Booker going crazy. And now it's just, Devin Booker doesn't go crazy and they win they win easily. So but they're still down two to one. So it's not I feel like it's kind of balanced in the same place, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it's I wasn't that worried even after game two, just by the 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 nature of not just, you know, how they lost game game two, but just how close they were in game one with Booker blowing up. You know, and I didn't think they particularly had a great game on their end. You know, so I thought like, okay, they they can tweak some things there. So I, I'm not at all that surprised. The one thing I'll say is I am impressed they were able to come back and win this in the way they did in the sense after losing that there was there was no hangover from game two. We've seen it from teams. Like that's a gut punch right there, right? Like that's a win. 0.9 seconds left. All you got to do is guard the the out of bounds, the baseline out of bounds play. And you and you're winning, you know, and 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 that's a gut punch situation. Does it help that it was um, 20 minutes, not 0.9? I we weren't going to talk about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're going to leave and, that and one alone. The truth is, man, I'm, you know, I'm watching this game three, and I'm just thinking about the Clippers setting themselves up for a gut punch, where they had that lead in the second quarter, and the and the Suns came back, and I was like, uh oh, uh oh, and then they yeah. came out. I thought coming out of of halftime. They look like a better team, right? Like they look like they had collected themselves and they came out harder. And again, Ty Lube does a great job of adjusting at the half. So uh, I'm not surprised. This feels like it's going to go seven to me. When, uh, I think a, a lot will depend on the pain injury. Sure. Like that's because that's going to change Phoenix's entire rotation. And listen, like I'm not. I don't know how much each one more is going to change anything. You know, it's weird that now Cameron Payne can swing the conference finals. Um, but like that's that's going to matter because of what it does to your rotations. And all right, now we have to stagger Booker and Paul, maybe like you have to figure out some stuff now if you're money. So can I just like a friend of mine texted me about this and was like, like, he's just one, like, what is all this Cameron Payne came out? Cameron Payne was a lottery pick. Right. So like there was talent there and, you know. Oklahoma City hasn't always been the best spot for young guards when, you know, KD and Westbrook. It didn't work out for him and he bounced around and bounced out of the league and that happened. So it's like there was talent there. It's not – this is not – this is not Linsanity. You know what I mean? Where a guy comes from absolutely nowhere. But at the same time – and, you know, he was really good in the bubble last year and was really good all season. So it's not just like this guy who who no one has ever heard of has has – well, I guess – Phoenix. Nobody watched Phoenix that much, so. But he's been really good all season, so it's not a shock that he's. He's been, a guy. Campaign yeah. is a real is a real player. Yeah, you know? and he wasn't. Yeah, but or, uh, the, before. 
But if I told you the the, the balance of the conference finals, the Suns, CP's first trip to the NBA yeah. finals will will rest on Cameron Payne's ankle at the start of the uh, the series. You probably would have looked at me going like, yeah, well, no, go back yeah, in time the marquee, a year ago. The gar- yeah, the marquee <laughs> matchup is campaign and Reggie Jackson. <laughs> right, like, it's insane. That's, that's what we're talking about. But, you know, I don't know where Reggie Jackson came from this year. In the he was bad during the regular season, and now he's hooping it up in the in the playoffs. I've been impressed. Well, the shooting from Reggie like that that's for real I mean that that is certainly like what he has turned himself into but his his playmaking I think so far in the playoffs has just been unexpected I guess because he's staying so under control um Reggie Jackson's gonna have a fascinating summer I think well, uh, a lot of a lot of these a lot of these kind of reclamation project guys are going to have, you know, Reg, Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin campaign. Like, what does that look like this summer? And then, you know, sort of this is maybe more the older guys than like because, you know, Cam hasn't really gotten paid yet. So that's I, one would suspect that that that's going to determine what he does. But for, you know, guys who've made money like Reggie and, and Blake, like what like there's no right or wrong answer. But what do you want to do? You know, what, what is, you know, what is the most important thing for you? And, you know, again, it's, it's not a judgment at all. If, if someone says that I, you know what, I would rather, I would rather maximize getting paid in my, you know, four years I have left of my career, but you know, different things are, you know, on one hand you have David West, who's like, you know, I made plenty of money. I want to play for the minimum and win championships. And there's guys who go the other way. Yeah. You guys want to talk bucks, and uh, Hawks, the unexpected oh, no. conference finals. I, I think there's one there's there's one aspect of this game that I think leads into that game okay. that has been sort of an interesting feature of. It does seem like we've had a lot of just in a season that was marked by silly shooting. It there does seem, especially as the playoffs have gone on, there's a lot of twos that we see in the, in, in team three point percentage. And now the both teams shot like above 30 tonight, but there's a lot of 29, they shot 29% from three tonight. Um, And neither team shot particularly well tonight. Both teams were in the twenties last night, uh, Bucks and, and, and Hawks. And, you know, the Bucks have been, had some really rough shooting nights throughout the, throughout this playoff run. Now it's going to take us some time to figure this out, Seth, but do you think this is a playoff thing and just the intensity is ramped up and, and teams just weren't ready and maybe they're tired or is it that the fans are back in the arena and it's actually making it harder to shoot again? Guys maybe got used to the no fans. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm spitballing here on on why the shooting has been down, but it, it certainly has been a downturn in the shooting. I, yeah, no, it's it's again. We're we're gonna we're guessing. We're, yeah, we're guessing. Yeah. Well, uh, I. Mo, so go ahead, Mo. I just I I I think, and it it probably it's a combination of the two, Dave. But I also think it's it's having more time practicing and with your team in the playoffs, and being able to put the game plan together a little bit better than you were able to do in the regular season, right? And I think we always see. I think. We kind of see this, right? Seth, in the playoffs in general, doesn't the numbers go down? Excluding last year in the bubble, which was like a whole other anomaly. I think it's 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 along those lines. I think it becomes a little bit interesting. Um, 
But this year in the regular season, teams weren't even able to practice all that much because we were afraid of not just COVID, but like just getting a guy in protocols and things. So you tried to keep everybody away till you had to have them. So I think it's a, I think in the playoffs, it's a little bit easier because you had more practice time, more time to walk through things and stuff like that. And I, and, and the game planning aspect of it, I think is always the case come playoffs. And I, I also do think that, that a lot of guys, you know, sort of a, a side thing of, a lot of the injuries that we've had is a lot of guys are getting extended and a lot of guys have not have looked, you know, leggy, I think is like, yeah. you know, just not, you know, you, 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 you kind of, you see that look on the face of the sort of the, the blank look on a face of a guy who's just, you know, a little bit fatigued, a little bit like past the red line. And I think we're, I don't know, again, I don't know if we're seeing that more this postseason than normal, but I think we're seeing it and that's, you know, that's showing up in, you know, Joe Harris having like his worst five game stretch of the season by an enormous margin in, in shooting. And, yeah. you know, the, the te- even teams that are not like, you know, the, the, the Bucks are not a great shooting team, but they've been, you know, in their, what are they, have they played uh, 12 playoff games now? Mm-hmm. Um Yes. Yeah. So they uh, of those of those twelve, five of them have seen them. Um, like, yeah, I've metric I have for expected three point shooting is like what would the average players have shot on these shots? Bucks have been like minus ten or worse five times in those twelve games, and in, in, typically, by the way, that's like you win ten percent of the time that you do that in an NBA game, and the Bucks have overcome that a few times, but. The fact that you're minus ten, you're you're having that poor shooting night that frequently in the playoffs is either worrisome about your roster or something else is going on, or you've just been like, I don't want to say unlucky, but the the shooting variance is broken against you. Do you feel like do you feel like game one for Milwaukee was that? Well, because no, they, I mean the they shot twenty two percent. And but the yeah, Hawks, the Hawks didn't, didn't hit shots either. Yeah, the Hawks didn't make any shots. Like the the Bucks were minus like again on three point shot making. The Bucks were like minus fourteen five. The 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 Hawks were like minus eleven. Right. So it's not. I mean, now the margin was three points, and there's three. So that. But no, I think that the that there's a lot of other stuff that you look at before you even like. Okay, nobody made shots, but why is Jeff Teague guarding Trey Young? Why is Jeff Teague? Yeah, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, like, you know, I feel <laughs> Look, like you know. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm looking at the box score right now from Game One, and 70 points in the paint. Man, that's a win. That's fantastic. That's great for the Bucks. How? I mean, I just I don't get how you lose this game with 70. They got outscored paint in the paint. They got outscored in the paint in the second half. As part of it, like they, it was, it was, they overreacted to they, they, their defense overreacted to their offense not making shots in the first half. Like they were, I said this at halftime. Is like I would be really annoyed to only be up five right now. The way this game has gone because Atlanta had nothing for them defensively. The Bucks had twenty shots in the restricted area in the first half, but they shot six of twenty four from for, on jumpers, like you know threes and mid range shots. So you make a couple more of those, you're up 11 at half. It's like, oh, Trey's going off, but we're getting everything we want on offense. Trey doesn't have all that many assists. We're, this is this is exactly how we think we're going to win this series. So let's just keep doing what we're doing. And instead, you're only up five. Hawks going a little run. It's like, oh, we got to switch everything up. And it's like, well, no, you just do – you know, your defense isn't perfect. It's fine. 
just keep running your offense and make shots and things will work out. And instead, like they kind of started throwing stuff at the wall a little bit. And, you know, they ended up in a decent, like, you know, the the switching stuff they did in the fourth quarter was fine and decent. And that should be part of their bag in this series. But th- there was a lot of kind of flailing around to get there. It was just weird. Like, there was just so many times they were going under on screens. Like, just, I, I don't understand it at this point, going under on pick and rolls with with Trey Young. And they would go under the first one, rescreen, then go over the second one. It, it puts you in a tough position when you go under the first one because it opens up the rescreen. And now Young's lower, right? Now Young's able to come. And when he comes off the second screen, he's at the three-point line. Like, I just, I didn't understand some of the 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 defensive concepts, which the Bucks were employing, where I was just like, you can't go under on these. He's going to stop and shoot. So they did. And it's, so, so no, the, the, just one thing I like, we were during the game, we were trying to figure this out, Mo, whether they like, whether the Hawks had, had switched up the way they were running their double drag, because it seemed like they were getting much better stuff out of it in the second half. And really what, what, when looking back on it, what I thought is, is in the first half, like the Bucks and Drew Holiday especially did a better job of like, engaging Trey higher up the floor so that those, you know, the Hawks really love to run those where Trey like dribbles hard down the left side of the floor, stops, goes 90 degrees sideways. And then that's really hard to guard. But since Drew is picking him up, he's going at like, you know, instead of going 90 degrees, he's going at a 60 degree angle. So when like Giannis switches the first screen, then there's room for him to get over the second screen. But in the second half, when he, when, when Trey is getting all the way down to the hash and then cutting over, that was different. And so they were just Trey was able to turn the corner and get better stuff in the second half. Also. Am, yeah. Am I just I, think you, uh, it, 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 did you, did you notice that? Am I wrong? Am I? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. You're, you, you, you were right in that. I just felt like, you know, they, it's, it's all about pickup points with Trey young. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you got to meet him at half court. Like, I don't care. You know, you might get beat, you know, him going to the rim, but you got to live with that versus him you know, coming across and, and, and getting threes and getting clean looks, you know, and, and for me, you know, you're right on about that with holiday. I thought he was better defensively in the first half and the second half. I thought he was he weird was defensively in the second, second no, half. He was bad. It wasn't weird. He, he was yeah, bad. In the but it was, half. but it was like, but it was like a step slow on everything in the second half and, and, and things like that. The one where it led to the Trey young, uh, uh, shimmy, you know, like, you know, Holiday jumped so far to try to beat him over the screen. I'm like, no, no, no. Just go over with him. Yeah. You don't have to beat well, him to that Trey, spot. I mean, Trey is also, he's one of the best players in the league at, at seeing yeah, you no. lean. <laughs> no, no, but but like seeing you lean. Because he got him once earlier also, the other side, where he, the one where he kind of hit the, sort of hit a, uh, kind of a, you know, whether a runner, a floater, or a tier, whatever, kind of over Lopez in the second half where we, you know, he's, he, he was going the other way. Um, so yeah, that, that I mean, Trey is good at that, but also you have to know that Trey is looking to reject. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, it just, it was just a really, I think holiday himself was great offensively throughout the game. I just thought his second half defense, I, I don't know where it went. So, and it, it was a weird game in that sense to me from, from that point. And I think I honestly, I think that's of a piece with them, their defense reacting to their offense. Mm-hmm. Like Trey shot the shit out of the ball in the first half and the Bucks were completely in control of the game. Like they, you know, they, because the, nobody else for Atlanta was doing anything. 
They weren't on the offensive boards. They weren't they kept getting the free throw line. I was going to say yeah. they kept them off the free throw line, which I yeah. thought was the key yeah, to they, the they, first they, half, right? They, they, you know, part part and parcel of Trey, like trying to, you know, score one-on-one or in the pick and rolls he had. I think he had four turnovers in the first half. Um, you know, so all that's going on. And then in the second half, it's like, oh, man, Trey's killing us. This game is close. we got to switch it up. And they try all these different things. And now all of a sudden, Trey is still doing his thing. But now he's throwing lobs, including like that, you know, Ludicrous, the ludicrous one to, yeah <laughs> but now but yeah but and and now like you know uh it wasn't just the fourth quarter when milwaukee was switching but the whole second half like atlanta was crushing the offensive boards and it's and it's because you're you you got sort of out of discipline like trey shooting two pointers can't beat you right it like it Trey shooting two pointers and you giving him lobs and you giving up offensive rebounds and you giving up kept out threes, which they didn't make. But that's what beats you. It's not the the 48 points isn't what beat them. Like aside from the, you know, the the four free throws he hit in intentional fouls, he took 42 possessions to score 44. You live with that on defense. It's the 11 assists, really 12 assists because he didn't get one for the backboard pass. But the the uh, that's that's where he's beating you. And they just again they got out of out of the discipline, and this is, you know, uh, Dave's a wrestling guy, so he'll he'll come with me on this. Like Trey is a heel, and part of being a heel is you just want to kick his ass so much, and so now Drew <laughs> is like, I got to stop this guy. It's like, no, I don't got to stop this guy. We have to stop the Hawks, and they and it seems like they lost that focus in the second half, in part because they thought they should have been up more. And I don't, I don't want to say panicked, but just lost that discipline. Yeah, I think the the Sixers kind of did a good job of what you're saying, Seth, for the most part of, hey, we're just going to force Trey inside the, the three-point line and play from there. Now, when they when they did that, they, they were able to win games. After that, they weren't. But what you kind of described is they tried to take everything away from Trey Young, which in turn opened everything up for them. And then it opened up opportunities for John Collins to come crashing in for the five offensive rebounds. That third quarter, he was amazing in that third quarter. Awesome, just in general. But like it opens up so many things, right? Like when when you're overreacting to Trey's drives into the paint and you're rotating and things like that, it opens up those lanes for, for Collins in there to keep the ball alive. Capella was awesome on the glass. Between the two of them, you know, the 15 and 19 rebounds, that's a hell of a night, you know, you know, 34 rebounds from your two, <laughs> your power forward and your center, you're going to be okay. <laughs> you're going to feel good. And I think, you know, everything about it was you can just feel the, the, the confidence go from the Bucks in that, in the second half and, and, and swing towards the, uh, the Hawks in that sense. And as Trey Young started to get going in terms of just showing off, as you say, being the heel, it's just like everybody just picked up with him and came with him. I just think the Bucks just need to be more confident with exactly what you said. Who cares if Trey scores 50 a game this series if you win in five? Yeah. So Chris like, Middleton okay, was awful, right? Yeah. Like, and, and he plays that game manager role for them when they need a bucket and he's that guy. And I thought they got him a great look for three to tie the game up at the end. I mean, that was a fantastic look and he missed it and that happens. So – they, I think Middleton's got it. Obviously, got to be better. Um, but Trey Young is doing something for the Hawks, and he's been doing it for them since he got there. But in particular, in the playoffs, you can really see it. His game maturing in, in this respect. He's controlling 
pace and tempo. And I mean, he's mixing it up really, really well. And and I thought that in particular in the fourth quarter down the stretch when they were bugging the, uh, the, the Bucks, it was because they didn't know what he was going to do. Like he really had them off balance completely. That was how, I mean, he, like the only way that they were scoring when they started switching, when the Bucks started switching was because Trey Young was just saying, okay, well, let me try this. Let me try this. And that was how you got well, the lob off the backboard. Yeah. Well, when they started, when they started switching, I mean, they actually like, again, the switching defense guarded Trey pretty well. Mm-hmm. He was, he missed a lot of shots and they were tough shots in the fourth quarter. But probably like the reason he missed shots is he's shooting jump shots over Giannis. Right. right. Bucks are playing a small lineup. Giannis is 30 feet from the basket. You have Middleton and Holiday or Middleton and Tucker or, or, or Connaughton or whoever trying to battle Capella and Collins on, on the boards. Like, okay, could they do it? Could they have done a better job? Yeah, probably. But those are two really good offensive rebounders and you've got, you know, <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, so that's, so it's, it's, you know, the, the, uh, the, the church of, of anti-drop defense zealotry kind of ignores yeah. some of the, like the things that, you know, what, what are the, the, the benefits of the drop isn't just like, oh, we take the rim away. We don't foul and we don't give up offensive rebounds. Bucks go to switching. They foul a bunch. Give up offensive rebounds. Don't force any turnovers. So yeah, the shooting wasn't good, but they still like gave up. Like you know, it was 122 offensive rating for the Atlanta in the fourth quarter. So it's not like they shut them down. Let me ask you guys this: w- Would you consider? I mean, we we've seen how the the Bucks have guarded James Harden. Um, I mean, a lot of teams have guarded James Harden, kind of playing that that trail. And a lot of rear view contesting. Would you think they might do that with Trey and, and try to pour? Maybe even push him deeper into that floater zone so that you can you can step up and get a contest there. I I think that's what that, that in the I think that's what they were trying to do in the first half, and he made some shots, and they didn't always get the rearview contest as much as as they would like. But again, Trey hit shot about as well as he's gonna shoot, and you're fine. And so it's again you don't like. Do I think that they should be in a drop the whole game and show the same thing to Trey? No, but I think that that's that's a useful thing. The switch is a useful thing. The other part, in terms of 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 you know limiting Trey, is okay. He had a forty five usage that game. It, he that's that takes a lot of energy. Seventy percent of the time he was on defense, Trey was guarding PJ Tucker. Or Pat Connaughton or Jeff Teague. If he's going to shoot that much, you can't just let him hang out and rest. And so this is this is you know this is kind of a lineup thing, right? Like this well, is last well, series was not a Bryn Forbes series. This is probably a Bryn Forbes series for Milwaukee. Before we before we even just get to Trey on 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 the defensive end, though, like I just think what what you're describing Seth, too. I think with the and, and Dave pushing him into the floater zone. I just don't think Lopez is that good at the cat and mouse game that you need him to be in, you know, in the, in the, I'm coming at you. No, I'm not. I'm coming at you. No, I'm not. I'm coming at you. I no, I really am coming. No, 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 I'm not. Okay. Like he, I, I just don't think he's. And, and, it's and, funny and, you say and that part because of it, I think he's, I think that's one of, in general, that's been one of the best things he does in the drop. And maybe he wasn't great last night, but in general, that's something he does well. 
but I just like when I watched it last night, like Young was getting what he wanted floaters or if, whether it was a floater or a lob or driving in and throwing the pass around he, he Lopez. To the lob, like the lobs were not against Lopez. The lobs were against uh, Portis. Portis. Yeah. Like, nah, well, yeah. Like, Portis yeah. Sucks. But yeah. But yeah. And the and the flow and, and defensively, yeah. but like the yeah. fl- he was getting floaters yeah. from him, and it's like it's one of two for him, right? Yeah. But like when when he has to figure out which one he's got to do, it becomes harder. But he was getting stuff where he was throwing the pass around Lopez. Yeah. That, that did happen get, a couple of times, yeah. You know, and things like that. Like there's a little bit of a a challenge for them with with them in the drop, like. I'm not a big fan of drop defense in general. I'm more of a center field guy. Like I want the guy up and start retreating with him, but you, you know, like having him way back to begin with, I, you know, just, sorry, I just don't like it. Um, I, what I'm seeing from it is I think they, they need to do better. And I think holiday will be better with the rear view contests and everything about that. I just think holiday had such a bad game defensively. I think that that's, that will be better, you know, but you, you know, to your point on the lineup stuff, like, I also don't know why you can't just run a screen with PJ Tucker. <laughs> I just don't, I don't understand why it's why won't any it's team stuff he target did, Trey Young. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's, stuff, it's, it's stuff Houston did with Tucker because like Tucker can't do like Tucker can do at this point in his career he can do two things offensively: stand in the corner or offensive rebound. And so if he's coming, if he's going to come set a screen, you know, top of the like. If, if PJ wants to shoot like an above the break three, you roll out the red carpet for him at this point. So, you know, uh, yeah, maybe maybe you try that, but I don't see how that that really stresses Trey very much because it'll it, get a switch of some sort. It'll get him switched on at some point. Yeah. It's I don't I'm not I'm not too concerned about it because I don't think I don't think the Hawks are disciplined enough yeah. defensively to not switch. Yeah. You know, like, but I, I think that's what's going to happen. But I, but you know, the it's it strikes me as like you know you don't there's there's not really a good reason to have all three of Lopez, Tucker, and Giannis on the floor at the same time because there's not really anyone for Tucker to guard. I mean, he can there are people from, but there's no one you need him to guard. So doesn't it make more sense to okay if you're going to have the guy in the corner, it's Forbes, and you run kind of. You know, you run empty corner or single side stuff to that. And now Trey is low guarding Forbes. And so it's either, okay, we're going to throw this lob to Giannis with Trey guarding him or Trey's going to commit and it's Bryn Forbes in the corner. It just seems like that's a, So who's uh, who's Forbes guarding? Uh, Boki can't move. Yeah, but he's still going to be in the screens and it's going to and, – and, and, and it's the same yeah. aspect. So I, I think, think, I think you know, uh, last series like Forbes couldn't – like he couldn't show on a ball screen versus KD. I think he can do that a little bit more against Trey just because of the size. Like he can show and recover on that. I think will yeah. it be great. No, but is it worth that that to make Trey play forty eight minutes instead of twenty four minutes? Oh, I'm all for I'm yeah. all for yeah. stressing Trey yeah. defensively. No, I'm a hundred percent with no, you. you. I think you you, can, you, you know you you do know you are you are making an offense defense trade off, but I think it's a, a good trade off to make in this in the context of how much Trey does offensively for Atlanta. You guys feel like this is a Brook Lopez series? I don't think game one. I mean, it, it was a bad game for Brook Lopez for, for the Bucks when he was out there. Do you guys feel like this is going to be as we go on? It's probably less and less Brook. I mean, I think it's it's twenty. Like again, you you play you play 
you know, you divide Trey's minutes in half, and half of them is Brook in a drop, half of them is Giannis at center switching, and you kind of that's you you sort of you start from there. Like those are those are your options. You ne- you never want like you you obviously can't have Portis as the big on the floor, and you obviously can't have Jeff Teague on the floor in those minutes. Well, we say this so, obviously, but both of yeah. those things happened in yeah. game one. So and and you know that was again the 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 Bucks defensive rating when or the Hawks offensive rating with Trey on the floor when it wasn't in those situations like 114 which is you know it's not awesome defense but it's fine you, you win games in in today's NBA if your defense does that in the 10 possessions where he could either go at Teague or go at Portis in the drop it was they scored 19 points in those 10 possessions and that's like <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean yeah that's the game the, like the, that's the game yeah, Teague shouldn't be playing. Like, I'm yeah. like, come on, what are we doing here? Um, I, I, you know, I mean, I can understand stealing some minutes with him. Guys coming off a seven game series, Lou Williams and Solomon Hill are on Seth, the floor. They had three days off. I, you know, I, again, it's not like would I have four, done it? No, four. The Hawks played Game well, no, Seven after I, that. You know, I, no, I'm not. You know, I, I'm not saying that that I. I there's at least some logic to. You know, steal a couple minutes here in a spot where it's fine, but then like not like you know we just talked about Ty Lue getting out of stuff. It's like the, and the the crazy part is like when Trey came back in, the Bucks committed an offensive foul like ten seconds later, and Bud sprinted down the bench. Drew get back in the game, but <laughs> don't guard Trey. Like right, like what are you yeah. putting Drew at yeah. that for? <laughs> like, um, no, but I I. I I, we'll see. I think the rotation thin yeah, out yeah, as absolutely. series goes on, and, and that's every every series, every team. I think reverts back to some form of their normal rotation. You know, when they start a new series, and let's see what works here. Um, so I think we'll see that stuff thin out. Like I'm not worried. I'll be shocked if Jeff Teague plays a lot more. It plays more minutes. Like no, so, the, it, 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 no. I just just thinking like you know like uh, uh, Okongwu had a, actually had a pretty solid series against uh, against Philly. And so it's like, ah, oh, maybe he can't play. No, he, like, you know, he kind of earned a look in this series. Like, maybe you don't want to go back to it. But, like, I can understand, like, again, you just played a game seven. You don't want to – do you want to play Capella and Collins 42 minutes a night starting in game one? Probably not. So, you know, give it a look. Okay, move on. Like, that's – you know, but it's just, like, doing the stuff that is just obviously not going to work. Is you can't. That's giving games away. It's giving well, possessions right. away. You can't afford it in the playoffs. Gives games away. Yeah, but the most important thing, Dave, to your original question about Lopez is like, if he's going to be out there, he's got to do a better job rebounding. You can't play twenty minutes and just have two rebounds. At least have six. Well, so you know, like I, I can, no, but I no, no. Especially if you're if you're going to be in this situation where you're in drop, you just made the whole case of you're you're in a better position to rebound. Like it's not you know like he he, he needs to rebound a little better. But what was the team rebounding sense. percentage when he was on the court? Yeah, that's, that's that, the thing that, about that, Brooke. Yeah, right? like, no, he doesn't like, snag Brooke a lot, is, but they they rebound when he's on the court. Yeah, I, I no, get what Seth is going to say. Yeah, yeah. that's that, that that's that, that that's exactly what I was going to say. Is 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 Brooke has never been a guy who has had big rebounding totals, but the teams get his team gets every rebound. And so again, they, they sure as shit didn't. The other <laughs> no, I mean, they no, they were, they were largely, no, they, I mean, over the course of his playing time, they were fine. They were good defensive rebounding when he was, it was the fourth quarter when it was all Giannis at center. That's when, like, they, again, the Hawks had got like you know had 
I think uh, they had like 13 misses, four offensive rebounds, and one team offensive rebound. And that was, you know. I mean, the biggest play of the game was the yep. the, the Collins three yep. off of two two offensive rebounds, you know, one from Collins and the other one from Capella. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're, you're going to have to figure that yep. out if you're going to go small with Giannis at the five. Then you, you you know, and that puts you in that tough situation that you got to figure out because they won't they won't win the series if they're giving up offensive rebounds at the rate in which they yeah. gave it up. Oh in yeah, game definitely not. Yeah. But no, and those the, three rebounds so, really did. They, that's what lost in the game. Yeah. Then this is, by the way, this is you know as much as like the Warriors put this like small death lineup switch everything thing in vogue. Like I think that it it it. I mean, I'm not the first person to say that, but it ignores how well situated they were personnel wise to do that because you have, you know, everyone like in, in those lineups was a plus rebounder for position except for Clay Thompson. So like, yeah, yeah I mean, you, I mean, we say that all the time about the Warriors, right? That's what I say yeah. about switching. Yeah. yeah exactly. No, but so, but, but no, but so they like, the, but the Warriors are better, were better equipped to do that because like Steph is very good at like tracking back and like securing loose ball rebounds and Iggy's a good rebounder and Harrison Barnes like could compete as a four in those rebound situations. And obviously Draymond like as a five. So you're, you know, What's like? What's the difference between that and like you know? Chris Middleton's a fine rebounder for a three, but he's a bad rebounder for a four. And you know, yeah, yeah you almost got to think I, about Bobby Portis as your four. Oh God! Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so I guess uh, just after you've seen one game, I mean, it, I doubt uh, your opinions have changed all that much. Um, you guys still feel pretty strongly that that the Bucks are the better team here, uh, at least in the series, like that they're going to pull it out or did game one kind of shake your confidence a little bit. So the Hawks, like, I, I don't know if it's the Hawks are better than I think they are, or they have this ability to bring the worst out of an opponent in that. Like they've, they've like, I what I watched the seven games of that Philly series, and I still think Philly was a better team, but Atlanta played much better, and I think that like the Hawks did something to get you know to get the Sixers to puke all over themselves like several games in a row, and you know in the second half they kind of want the Bucks to puke all over themselves. So it's like, are the Bucks the better team? Yes. Does that mean the Hawks can't like? do this thing where they, I don't know if they're mad at Trey or they're confused about something else or they're staring the finals in the face and like they know what's coming and the, the Hawks are just here and don't know any better. So they're, they're just going, I don't know. So am I shake? Yeah, a little like, despite like being no less convinced that the Bucks are a significantly better team doesn't mean they're going to win the series because of these kind of other things that are, We've seen play out for two series already. <laughs> no, the 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 Bucks are definitely the better team to me. The big difference to me though is the Hawks are, are the more comfortable team in close games. You know, and that's what it feels like to me. And that's something that worries me a little bit about the Bucks. 
you know, is that like, I don't, and this is what we saw with Philly. The game got close and you could see them panicking physically, like all the way down to dock, you know, even the ball boys hands were shaking when they were trying to mop up the floor. Like you can, you can sense the nervousness in that. And you could saw I saw, you saw a little bit of the, of that in the net series, you know, from the bucks. And I think there's a little bit of a, Oh crap, it's close. We got to go. We got Giannis feels like he's got to take it on his shoulders or something and and situations like that. That's what concerns me about it. The the Bucks to me are the better series and says is right. Philly's the better was the better team. But the Hawks just know how to play it together. Play their way together as a group. And I think that kind of takes them another step. And again, in crunch situations, God, like I almost just feel more comfortable with the Hawks than I do do the Bucks, and it's weird because I've picked against the Hawks the whole playoffs at this point. They're unflappable. They literally don't feel any pressure. They're playing with house money. We can come up with any other sports cliche. Like they're not supposed to be here, literally. And they've been told that all year. I think there's a little bit of power in that. I think Nate McMillan is probably tapping into that. The nobody believes in you stuff. It exists. Like that's a real thing that you can tap into that that makes people just say it's, it goes one of two ways, right? It's either all they can think about and they just feel like they don't belong or they just say, fuck it, and they kick ass. And the Hawks are just kicking ass, plain and simple. They're just finding ways to win games. I cannot believe that they won this game. They found a way to do it, man. And I don't think that they're going to win this series necessarily. But it wouldn't shock me if, you know, a week from now, we're sitting here talking about the Hawks making an <laughs> improbable finals run. Any- they got alligators, blood. Hey, anything is possible, guys. Hanging around. <laughs> uh, okay, well, um, I guess that's going to do it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week where potentially we could be talking NBA finals. It's crazy. I can't believe we've already gotten here. For Seth and Mo, I'm Dave, and we'll talk to you guys again on Murder She Wrote next Friday on the Athletic NBA Show.